Today's message is entitled, The Critic. The Critic Voices in My Head. Say that with me, The Critic Voices in My Head. You didn't say it. Say it with me. The Critic Voices in My Head. So today, let's talk about, again, uh, I'm trying to give us messages that focus on um, things internal, uh, things that are happening inside of us that seem to impact how we impact the world. Uh, so it's important that we realize these many different facets. We talked about uh, lying and, you know, I'll just go past to three messages before we've did an in-depth study um you know focusing on humanity and the reality of us and our weakness as humans and here's another one that we have to deal with and i know and i'm trying to pick ones that i know most of us really struggle with and so in this one uh i wanted to talk about the critic uh and voices having voices in uh in your head now, many people see critic as a harsher form of a critique to some degree. So critic is a harsher form of a critique. When we talk about critique, uh, to critique means you analyze yourself as in quality control. You look at something and you critique it. And after you discover the issues or the concerns or praises or successes, uh, you respond accordingly with correction or celebration or whatever you uncovered or discovered in your critique. And so we're supposed to critique for personal excellence. This is supposed to be a good thing, but most of us don't critique Instead, we are our own worst critics. Okay, so most of us are critics. We are not uh, critiquers. In other words, we're critic with a negative connotation. And what that means is we tell ourselves, we or we 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 tell ourselves. Um, or we hear in our heads horrible things uh, that are spoken. And this in turn keeps us from progressing. So rather than critiquing for, oh, looking for positive things that I can work on, I can be better and do better. Most of us are harsh critics with negative things we say to ourselves. It's like a default switch, automatically think something's wrong right? Just automatically go there. And not only do we tell ourselves horrible things, we're critics of other people too. We not only just tell ourselves, but we can be pretty horrible to other people. It's like people around us. It's like negativity on 10, on steroids. But what we fail to focus on is that the critic impedes progress. The critic impedes progress. So how do we change that? And that's what I want to be clear on. How do we change that? Because often we ourselves, we ourselves 
being our own worst critics, stand in our own way of success or impact or progression. We don't see what God sees. Even though we read his Bible, even though we come to church every Sunday, even though we know we're not horrible, horrible people, we still tell ourselves these horrible things. The Bible says so many amazing things about us, but we fail to grasp them and embrace them. But somehow the critic, there he is, the critic or she is, in our heads tell us otherwise. It refutes the truth of the Bible. And guess what we do, Tabitha? We believe the lie rather than the truth. Check this out, Riri. We are critics because of our humanness, right? So on a natural scale, we're just critics because we're critical of how we look. We're critical of our parents because we are human and we want to be liked and accepted by the things that are empirical, seen, touched, and tangible. We are constantly, uh, 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 Latanya, uh, seeking to measure up in this world for now. We're trying to keep up with the Joneses now, Shauna, but our focus is not measuring up for the world to come. What we should be speaking to ourselves about is how we can measure up for the world to come. That's what really matters the most because the things here are going to pass away, these things are not going with us. So while the Bible does give us more than our share of reading on our depravity and sinfulness, I mean, the Bible can paint a pretty gory picture of us in our sinfulness and our depravity, and the Old Testament gives plenty of that, but the Bible also has to do an even larger job at telling us the positive powers of who we are after we encounter Jesus. And so that's why the New Testament becomes so tantamount to our progress and our destiny. One blogger wrote this, roughly translated. She said, self-criticism is evaluating and judging yourself harshly for not being perfect. Oh, isn't that, isn't that just, I like that. It is a negative inner voice that impedes our progress and makes us self-destructive. I should have put that on the screen, uh, but never mind. She said things like, she said things, saying things like, I am a bad mom um, or I am not enough, or I can't do it, or I'm ugly, uh, anything like that. All those phrases come from the critic. And I keep telling you, this is the title of the sermon. It's called the critic. And so when you, so you're saying, well, self-criticism, I don't do self-criticism. I'm no, when you say I'm too fat or I can't get the job or, um, nobody likes me, you think nothing of it, but all you're doing is every time you speak those things, you're putting 
roadblocks and barriers in front of you because they create stumbling blocks for you. We talked about that last week. I like what she says. This is good. This is good. And Shana, you may have to write this one down if you can get it. But listen, here's what she said. She said, if you wouldn't say it to a friend, then don't say it to yourself. I like that. That's just, that's just pretty clear. She said, if you wouldn't say it to a friend, then don't say it to yourself. If you wouldn't form your words to say that about somebody, then don't say it to yourself. So before we go deeper, let's start with this verse. Let, let me start with this verse right here. It, let's just start here in scripture. Let's start with Romans 8 and 1. Check this out. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to read it again. Read it with me. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we're talking about, look, there's not supposed to be condemnation for us. Why are we self-condemning or self-criticizing? The Bible says there's no need for that. I'm telling you, I'm giving you a license right now. When you hear the critic, you you can say to the critic, Romans 8, 1, critic said, there ain't no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So condemnation means this. Condemnation, the word, the Greek term for that means, it means to give judgment against, to judge worthy of punishment. It is not to give praise. So whenever the critics start speaking in your head, I want you to know that they're trying to judge you for the wrong in your life. They're not come, the critic in your head is not coming to lift you up. They are trying to condemn you. They're putting one's good example next to a bad example. Have you ever heard the critics say something like this? Look at her. Uh, you don't, your hair is not as good as hers. Or look at him. You skinny. You're not like him. So what, so what the critic will do is put something that looks good next to your, look at that car and look at your raggedy bucket. In other words, they'll put the good next to the bad to make the bad stand out more. Are you got, man, all I'm saying is the critic works on trying to make you look bad. Condemnation sets up relationships and people and circumstances in your life to make you feel bad. The law condemns. And so when we were talking about this, the law in the Old Testament condemns. And so when the New Testament came, Jesus fulfilled the law and said, you can no longer be punished for that. So the freedom that Jesus gives us, he says, I came, you're no longer condemned for what you can't keep or what you don't do. I eat too much. Yeah, you do, but you don't need to be condemned for. I'm not saying these aren't facts. They may not be true. Like, you know, you keep a raggedy house or something. That might be true, but you're not to be condemned for. How can, listen, we're all messed up and there are different degrees of messed up. What God is trying to say, regardless of your level of mess up, you shouldn't be condemned for it. Why? Because you're in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation because the law is fulfilled and he says, leave it that way. Anybody tracking? So now let me give you two examples of servants of God who had to deal with the critic. I'm going to give you, you think, you say, uh, where do, there, where's the critics in the Bible? Let me tell you about them. First, let's look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the prophet to be used 
by God. Jeremiah was the prophet to be used by God. And I want you to look at what the Bible said about him. So the text says in Jeremiah 1, 5 through 7, he says, before I formed you in the womb, he said, I knew you. This is God talking about Jeremiah. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Look at that. Now, ah, sovereign Lord. Here's the critic. Here's the critic. I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. Oh, there's the critic. God responds. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Here's what I want you to see. That he was saying, you must go and do and say what I tell you. Because he understood that Jeremiah was saying, because I'm criticizing myself, I'm not going to go. So the critic seeks to impede your progress. So God said in response to his criticism, self-criticism, he said, no, you're going to go. So what we have to do when we hear the critic, we have to find the energy to go anyway. There might be all kinds of reasons you feel like you shouldn't go, but we have to look beyond the critic. And I'll tell you how to do that in a minute. But I just wanted to show you that Jeremiah was here saying, uh, I can't speak. I'm just a child. I'm too young. All of these negative aspects. And God said, don't you say that? Every time you criticize yourself, I want you to hear God say, don't say that. Stop the voices in your head. Don't let the critic keep you from what God has called you to do. The critic is no bueno. The critic is no bueno. And we must change that. Second example. Second example is Moses. Moses was one of God's greatest servants. One of God's greatest. Listen to his critic. His critic is found in Exodus 4, verse 1. Then we'll skip down to verse 10. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me? So God was calling Moses. We skipped those verses. Moses said, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Word about what people say. So skip down to 10. Moses continues to self-criticize. He says, Moses said to the Lord, oh Lord, I have never been eloquent neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Moses says, I'm a stutterer. I can't talk well. I don't do it like Pastor Cherry. I can't put words together. And then he goes on in 11, said the Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth? Hold on, get this, don't get it twisted. He says, who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Wait a minute. Moses ain't done. Now go. Again, notice God says, now go. Remember, the point of the critic is to stop you. God's job is to get you to go. He says, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, the critic, oh Lord, please Send somebody else to do it. But verse 13, wait a second. Verse 13 
says, yes, send somebody else to do it there. So now look at this. Moses was clearly testing God's patience. And when we are critics and listening to the voices in our head, we are testing God's patience because all of us, beloved, have a specific call on our life that we were born for a reason. And every time we deny ourselves the right to be who you are, you are testing God's patience. This is so simple. I hope you're getting it. In fact, the story says God became angry with Moses later on in the text. We didn't read it for all of his excuses. But even in God's anger, he still chose to use him. Are you getting this? My point is there's no reason for you to Stop trying when you don't feel adequate because even in your excuses, God says, I will still find a way to use you. And so we don't want God getting angry at us for speaking poorly about ourselves. If anything, we as believers should speak to ourselves with greater positivity and congeniality. We ought to know how to love ourselves. I'm saved and sanctified. Wait, Psalms 139 and 14, write that down. Psalm 139 and 14 says to say things like, hey, Girlfriend, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's who I am. Wait a minute. Yep, I, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Not I'm a disaster. Not, not I'm a catastrophe. I, I'm a wreck waiting to happen. A, a mistake waiting to happen. God says, don't say things like that, Tia. Don't say, see why? Don't say things like that. He says, God doesn't take kindly to you speaking so ill of what he created. God doesn't want you talking bad about what he did good for you. But now I want to give you an example of Lil Ben. Lil Ben, you with me? I want to give you an example where we can actually hear the internal rebuttal of the critic with the criticized. I want to go into the head of a person and let's listen into someone's head going back and forth with the critic. Look with me at this text and I'll give you four takeaways that will help you deal with the critic in your own life. Check this out. I want to talk about Paul. So we looked at Jeremiah, we looked at Moses, but now we're going to get in Paul's head for a second. Paul is here having to defend himself against some critics who were saying awful things about him. We're going to listen in on this exchange. Follow me in the text. Starting in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 18, we'll read straight through it. Verse 1 says, by the meekness, this is Paul speaking, and Paul is speaking to his critics. So that's the context. So Paul's response says, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold went away. That's what they were saying. You timid when you in front of us, but you bold in letter. He says, I beg you. That when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. You got it wrong, critic. 
For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. He says, for the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, critics. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive, here it is, every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of obedience once your obedience is complete. This is Paul talking to his critics. You are looking only on the surface of things, critic. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, he should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as he. For even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than pulling you down, I will not be ashamed of it. Notice how he's talking to his critic. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. You say I'm, in other words, you say I'm bold in my letters. I'm not trying to scare you with my letters. He says, for some say, here it is, the critic, his letters are weighty and forceful. But in person, he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Now look at the critic talking about Paul. Paul wrote, Paul wrote uh, uh, 14 of the 27 new books in the New Testament, but he can't talk. He can't write, right? Right. Verse 11, such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. Notice his response. He's telling the critic, he don't get it twisted. I'll be what I am in person, what I am in the letter. He says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. In other words, we're not trying to act like pastor so-and-so or preacher so-and-so. We're just trying to be ourselves and we're not going to get in that game. He says, 13, we, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the field God has assigned us to, a field that reaches even to you. We are not going too far in our boasting as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Some were saying that he was bragging. They were saying he, he, he boasts too much. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in another man's territory, but let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. All right, so check this out. He says that final verse in 18, he says, it's not the one who commends himself, it's the one whom the Lord commends. Now listen to this. Paul is having to defend his authority because of what the critics had been circulating about him. People were starting to question his authority. So that's why he was talking about his authority because of what the critics were circulating. I watched a movie yesterday. Me and Joy watched the movie. This is not in my notes, but it was called Sweet Francois, Francois or something like that. It meant French sweet. And uh, it, uh, it was a German soldier. It was a, a, during the time the Germans were at war with France. And the German soldier came and took over people's households. They were winning the war. And it was a soldier living in the French suite in this house. 
And what people were doing in France were writing, circulating negative letters about the military man there. They were making up stuff about him and he had to read him. It was his duty to read him. So the critics then were circulating these negative letters about Paul. And so what, what happened was people were questioning the soldier's authority. They said, well, he, he not, he's a floozy. He's sleeping with everybody. All the rumors were, and so they were discrediting him. And so the critic comes to discredit your authority. It tries to minimize you or bring you down to a low state. So see outside, see the outside critics as voices in Paul's head. And when we get in our heads and let the critic breathe and grow, we start losing our authority with ourselves and with others. Let me do Listen, when you start arguing with people and you confirm or affirm the lies that they say, if you know it's not true, don't keep reverberating it or spitting it up. If it's not true, don't respond to it. The point is because the more you regurgitate the lie, it reduces your level of authority. And oftentimes the way you try to explain Explain it, discredit. You know how people say, just stop talking because you're making it worse? Right, because you can't even tell the lie right. The lie is a lie and you can't fix the lie. Never mind, are you getting what I'm saying? So what I want to do is to be a bit creative here. The text is clearly talking about the Corinthians were critical of Paul and they were saying he was weak in person, but he barked real loud in his letter. You know how the dog who barks behind, you you yelling at the dog behind the gate, but open the gate and then what? You didn't, never mind. Instead of seeing Paul talking to the, to the Corinthians, I'd like you to see Paul responding to himself in his head. So I tried to read the text as if Paul was talking in his head. So let's see the negative things said by Corinthians as swirling around in the head of Paul. And he now responds as how, how he responds. We'll see that we are to respond to the critic in our heads as well. The first thing we learn is this. First thing we learn is I am this way for a reason. The first realization we should have and what should reflect in our response to the voices in our heads and our critics is I'm this way for a reason. In other words, whatever, however you are right now, however God has you in this world and in life right now, you are that for a reason. So remind the critic before you go off on me, before you go telling me that I'm not this and I'm not that, whatever I am, I'm that for a reason. Come on, somebody. The critics were saying, and thereby the voices of Paul that he was hearing in his head were saying, you're too controlling. He was saying, you're too controlling. You're too assertive. He's extending his authority. That's why he says, I don't boast beyond my region. They kept saying, you talking too much. You're trying to, you're trying to control us. You're trying to be an apostle who's controlling us. He says, your appearance is one way, but your letters are another. So too controlling. Uh, you don't look good. You can't speak up. You're one way. You're two-faced. You speak one way in a letter and you can, you're weak in person, but you're bold in letters. Why do you wait to you're away from us to speak all big and bad. Any of these sound familiar? I'm just saying, this is way back in the Bible, but but I think you can find 
Never mind. Never mind. I ain't going to say nothing, uh, Cynthia. Uh, clearly, words like these can be destructive. So Paul responds to the critic. He responds with gentleness. The text said, he said, I'm responding with gentleness and kindness and with humility. He says, he, he, explained, he explains why he is this way. And the way he explains it is with gentleness and humility. Don't argue with your critic. That's my point. Don't argue in a uh, back and forth bantering that is combative. The way you douse the light and power of your critic is to approach your critic with gentleness and humility and remind them that you are the way you are for a reason. You are that way because of your circumstance. So who am I? Who I am is on purpose. Whatever it is you see right now, it is on purpose. I got to say that to this camera. Whoever I am right now, wherever I am in life right now, God sees it as useful for my purpose. However, God made me has meaning. Come on, somebody. You know that some people are gentle. Some people are just aggressive. Some people talk loud. My brother talked loud. We, was, we, were, we were at the hospital and a friend said to him, said, you talking loud. And, and so we, we all said, well, that's how he always talk. He loud. He just loud. In other words, some people, and then some people very quiet and soft spoken. In other words, you're that way for a reason because sometimes you need loud talking folk. Sometimes you need people coming. And so the reason I'm not all up in your grill, Paul was saying, when I come is because I'm trying to use my authority to give you room to grow. The argument of Paul was this. He says, when I'm in your presence, he says, I'm not giving instructions and talking because I'm giving you room to be who you are. He says, but when I write the letters, the letters are more instructive. They're more guidelines for you to read. You're misunderstanding me. He says, when I come as your teacher in your presence, I'm letting you be who you are. I'm observing, but don't misconstrue my lack of involvement as I'm passive or weak. You missed that. I am this way ah, for a reason. I like this. He says, listen, I'm not here to stifle your development with control. I want you to live out your faith and grow in your best self. So he says, I can be bold if you like. The letter we read, he said, I can be bold. I can prove that to you. He says, but I'm pleading with you. He says, let's not go there. I don't want to get in an argument about what you see me as. Look at the response to the critic. He says, I'm this way for a reason. So it would be foolish for me to argue with you about being the way you want me to be. Oh, that's, that's like, you got to go back and I can't even repeat it because I don't know what I said. I don't need to be aggressive with you when I'm there. I'm here now writing to you in gentleness and kindness. He says, I'm coming soon and I'm trying to get you prepared. So treat yourself. In other words, treat yourself, Tia. Treat yourself, Shauna. Treat yourself, Sharon with gentle and kindness. When your own self starts talking to yourself, be gentle and kind to yourself. And you won't be defensive when others question you. When you learn how to be gentle to yourself, you will learn not to be defensive when people you think people are criticizing you externally. Your response to them will not be, wait a minute, let me clap back. No, your response will be, 
gentle and kind because you've been practicing the trait of being gentle and kind to your own self. In other words, practice not saying harsh words to yourself. Write this passage down, Ephesians 4.29, Ephesians 4. 29 says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. In other words, don't start speaking, sputtering, fluttering, negative things to yourself or to others. Just stop it. And so you get in a habit of saying good things. So instead of berating yourself for criticism, for the criticism you're receiving, counter it with grace and kindness toward yourself. And you give yourself time to figure things out. Say to yourself, yes, I do overeat. Yes, I do cuss a little bit too much, but I'm not going to be as hard on myself because I'm going to give myself room to change. That's what Paul is saying. Instead of fighting back and defending, I'm going to be gentle and kind and I'm going to give you room to change. And that's what Paul's saying. I'm not being aggressive. I'm not being assertive when I'm in your presence. I'm giving you room to change. So tell yourself who's criticizing yourself, I'm giving you room to change by not arguing with you back and forth every day. Say what you want to say. I ain't hearing it. Say what you want to say. This is going to change. So there's a reason for this. He says, but you're misunderstanding it, people. The second point Paul makes is this. The second point says, I have special weapons to deal with the critic. Approach your critic using special weapons. And I know that some of us, some of us use the wrong weapons. So look at how we deal with the critic. Look at the text. He says in verse three, he says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. We don't fight like that. He says the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Oh, God is saying you got special weapons. You got special weapons. He says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, what we know to be true of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So check that out. God says, he says, you don't, you don't fight words or criticism with your flesh. You fight it with the special weapon. Somebody say special weapon. We must bring down those stronghold thoughts and spiritual, uh, 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 those, those spir uh, spiritual attacks with our spiritual weapons. You can't fight your critic like you fight the world. You can't do that. The critic bases everything on external appearance. Remember, the critic is always looking at the outside. You, you look, you don't appear to be, you don't this, you don't, all the critic is talking about everything they can see on the outside. So why give the critic credence by acknowledging what's on the outside? Instead, turn inward and get those special powers. I got a special weapon for you. Listen, you've been talking about me for three years. I got a special weapon for you. You don't have to hit them. You don't have to strike them. You don't have to key their car. What you do have to do is learn how to use your special weapon. The critic bases everything on appearance, but we must fight the critic as they would, antici as they would anticipate us to fight them externally. We must change it up on them. We must approach the critic with a different type of weapon, and our weapons are mighty through God to the pulling down. King James Version says, 
pulling down of strongholds, pulling down of those critiques. He says, I change that with the special weapon. So by the spirit of God in you, Paul says, I'm not going to fight you. Say what you want to say. I'm not going to the parking lot with you. But what I am going to do, what I am, what I am going to do is I'm going to go within my spiritual weapon and by prayer, I'm going to pull down. I'm going to take the strength of what you said and I'm going to put it under my feet. Oh, that's good. He says, I'm going to take that thought. God's power will take that thought and bring it down and bring it into the obedience of Christ. Anything that tries to set itself up in a thought against what God told me about me, I'm going to bring it down. How? By a special weapon. Got to move on. Number three. Number three. I'm the same as anybody else. So you, you got to tell the critic. Put the critic. In other words, listen. Stop seeing the critic as authoritative. Put the critic on level playing field. So whoever's talking about you, you're the same as anybody else. They're the same as you. They don't have no authority. They got issues just like you. Stop giving them that credence. So check this out. The text said, you are looking only on the surface of things. Remember, I told you the critic. That's This is Paul's response to the critic. You're looking on the surface of things, bro. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, he should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as he. So he was saying Paul's critics were actually believers. And he's saying to the believers, if you belong to Christ and you get, you still saved, I belong to Christ too, just like you do. We on the same level. So then he says in verse eight, he says, for even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than pulling you down. He says, I won't be ashamed of it, but we all in the same boat, basically, he's saying. So then he says in verse nine, I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. Notice the cautiousness and the calmness. He responds to the critic. He says, I'm not going to fight with you. I'm not, I'm not going to get into the back and forth with you. I'm not trying to scare you with my spiritual authority. That's what he's saying. He says in 10, for some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. So this is what the critics are saying. They're actually saying that. And then he says, such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. So look at what he's saying. He's saying we are all the same. He's saying whatever I am in my letter, that's what I am in person. Whatever I am in person, that's what I am in the letter. Whoever you are in criticizing me, that's who you are. I'm judging you for who you are. I'm judging me for who I am. We are cross-cultured in the body of Christ. We are all broken, but for the grace of God, his mercy applies to you just like it applies to me. So I'm not going to be shamed. I'm not going to be in your face crying, talking about, oh, woe is me. I'm going to recognize I'm just as much saved as you are. You got to get God's grace just like me. And I'm going to use the authority that God gave me. I'm going to do my job. In other words, the critic is trying to stop him. He says, I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing. I, you don't like it, but it don't mean I'm stopping just because you don't. Man, let me talk to somebody over here. Maybe. Listen, the level the playing field, little Ben. Tony, level the D. Listen, level the playing field. We all are the same. So whatever you're saying about me, you are as well. You got issues. It's just a different, you call it something different. And whatever you are, I am. Why? Because we are humanity. So do this to remove the pressure. 
This removes the pressure, D, of trying to measure up or down to what the critics are saying. In other words, say to the critic in your head, look here, critic, Listen, let me tell you something. Listen, I am who I am. And so you trying to make me step up to be this or come down to be this is it's foolish because we're all on the same boat. In other words, what you're saying to the critic, you what you're let's see if you can see this. What you're saying to the critic, the critic is you saying to you that you're not who you are. You're saying to the critic, you can't say that because you're me. The voice in your head is you. So how can you adjust to what you are not? The critic is you. So even if it's a person who's not you, the critic on the outside is you because they're human. We are all one. We're all one body. We're all in need of God. So you can't adjust to the same thing. Oh God, are you? Never mind. I, I never mind. We're all believers by the same faith, but my boldness and uniqueness comes with my purpose or calling. So in other words, we're all the same, but the thing that emboldens me, the thing that gives me um, a strike is my calling. In other words, when God says, go do something, I'm going to do it. And when I do it, I'm going to assert myself. And just because you don't like it, don't misread my boldness for who I am. My boldness is associated to my purpose. God, Whoa, my boldness and how I act and how I respond assertively is connected to my person, not just who I am as a human. In other words, once I know what I've been called to do, look out, sister honey, I'm ready on fire. I will come out the gates like a horse at the Kentucky Derby. I'm ready to run those furloughs. I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to run until I win. Why? Once I get my purpose. Don't you know that most people are depressed? when they can't understand their purpose and most depressed people sit around listening to the voices in their heads of what they are not. But give a depressed per person purpose, power, and meaning. That's when they rise up, they open the shades, turn on the light and say, I've got something to do. When we decide to understand that God has all called us with our own personal authority to be something he's called us to be, then we can assert ourselves and allow people, allow the critic to misunderstand our authority. The authority that they were questioning of Paul, Paul was saying, I have authority because of my purpose. I'm not trying to assert authority just because I'm another man or woman. I'm asserting authority because I'm your father. You get what I'm saying? I'm your, listen, I tell my kids, I'm your child. Listen, I'm not trying to berate you. There are, listen, if another man on the street or another woman on the street try to talk to you like I talk to you or treat you like I treat you, then they're out of order. But I'm treating you this way because my purpose is to be your daddy. It is my purpose to correct you. It is my purpose to guide you in the right direction. It's my purpose to communicate with you. So whenever you find your purpose, it comes with authority. Ooh, ooh. The things about you are unique for a reason. And we have to learn how we fit in society. So help your critic understand that. Help your critic understand that maybe I'm this way because of the purpose I have. Lastly, let me wrap this up. 
Number four, he says, I have my own sphere. Every one of us has a space and a role to play. I love how this matriculates, how it migrates into the role and the leading up of who you are. Everyone has a space and a role to play. He says this, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. We ain't trying to be like everybody else who out there is spinning their own wheels. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. It is stupid to try to live your life comparing yourself to the Kardashians and everybody else and Jay-Z and Beyonce, bless her soul, and all these people in the world, everybody you see on TikTok and on the gram and all that. It is foolish of you to compare yourself with themselves when you yourself are yourself. It ain't right. So he said... <laughs> 13, he says, we, however, will not boast beyond our proper limits. We'll stay in our lane, but we'll confine our boasting to the field God has assigned us to. You have a sphere. You have a field God has assigned you to, a field that reaches even to you. So he's saying, my field reaches you. So I have authority over you. My field is you. So don't question my authority. He says, we are not going too far in our boasting as would be the case if we had not come to you for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. We came to you. We, we burst you in the gospel. He says, neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting our work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity among you will greatly expand. So what I'm saying is, refuse to compare to that which is wrong. In other words, stop trying to compare to that which is wrong. Stay in your lane, stay in your sphere. Don't try to use your spiritual authority in a realm that isn't yours. If I went to Noah Jones Church or Kenneth Ulmer's church, Dr. Ulmer's church, and said, to his to the people in his church, well, I'm telling you that God said this and do this. Omer and Jones would look at me like, have you lost your mind? You don't have, this is not your sphere. And so what I'm saying is God gives you a sphere in which you are called to be you. So when the critic gets on you, and you're in the sphere that you've been called to, you look at the critic and say, I'm supposed to be here. I've got my sphere. This is who I am. I'm using all my special weapons to deal with you. We all on the same playing field. And now I've got my own sphere. You can't stop this. In other words, when you know you're operating in what God has called you to do, there is no critic's words that has the power to stop you. So limit your impact to your sphere. Your authority is for your sphere of influence. Whatever God has called you to, he's given you a sphere of authority to go with it. Give yourself a region, a corner, a zone in which your answers apply. So when you respond to your critic, respond to the critic in your sphere. In other words, don't argue with the critic about something that 
isn't even relevant to you. Anything outside of that realm of your purpose is irrelevant. Why argue with people about something you've got nothing to do with? So when yourself starts complaining about an area of weakness that doesn't matter because you're not in that region anyway, you ignore them. When the critic says to you, well, you won't be able to sing. You say, well, that's fine because I ain't a singer. So say what you want to say. Don't lose your energy. Use your energy arguing in a sphere that doesn't even belong. Are you getting what I'm saying? So don't argue with yourselves about things that don't matter. Did you hear what I said, Shana? Don't argue with yourself about things that don't matter. In other words, yourself will have you arguing about things that don't... Man, listen, I here I go again. Pray for me. I was on the phone arguing with somebody who said that some service, some business was supposed to send something and it hadn't arrived. They sent it to the wrong place. And I was just a fussing. I had time. It wasn't like I needed it tomorrow. I had time. But I was fussing and arguing about something that didn't matter. And did it come before I needed it? Yes, it did. I lost interest energy fussing and being twisted about something. Never mind, y'all don't do that. I'm sorry. Uh, Pray for me. Listen, I got to work on it. Listen, so why does all this matter and why do you think God would want us to hear this today? Here's my conclusion for you. I hope that you have been blessed by this. And yes, I am in time. Why are we trying to correct this, Tony? Why are we trying to correct this Lawanda? Why? Here it is. Listen to me carefully. So we can minimize the impact and the effect of false teachers. In other words, when we respond properly to the lying critic, we minimize the impact of false teaching. If we can Stop the lies before they get out of us. If we can stop them in our head, we can stop them before they reach the world. And so God is saying, if you learn to stop the lie internally, he says, you leave more room for the truth in the world. What God is saying is too many of you listen to the lie in your head. And the first thing you do is pick up, I wish I had my cell phone. I don't have, it. pick up your cell phone and call somebody and you regurgitate the lies. You heard it, girl. Girl, I'm feeling like, girl, I just don't feel like myself today. Girl, I just, girl, I just, you know, I'm feeling like, I'm not pretty no more. He don't look at me the way he used to. And you start spreading this stuff. And God says, I need for Christians. Are you on the line? Come on. I need for believers to God. Stop the critics, the voices in the head so I can minimize the effectiveness the lies have in the world. What does that do? It makes more room for the truth. If we're sitting around the table and ain't nobody telling lies, then guess what will be shared? More truth. Oh, amen. Preach, Patrick. Number two, God's work continues to be done. When Listen, when we stop the critic, the critic who tries to stop 
us, we continue the work of God. When we refute what the critic says, God's work gets done. Remember, the critic tries to stop you. When we stop the critic, we keep the work going. Come on. So listen, number one, we stop the critic because it gives room for truth. We stop the lies. Number two, we stop the critic. God's work gets done. And even while using people who defeat their critic every day, God uses us in spite of us having to fight. And I'm not telling, I'm, I'm saying, listen, critic going to be back tomorrow. Even the Bible said, Jesus said, and the devil left him for a season. You hear me? The, you hear me? The, the Bible said the devil left him for a season. The critic be back. He'd be back. At, you done shut him down on Tuesday. You should, God, I feel like I'm about to shout. I'm about to, woo, come on. He said, the critic will be back, bro. The critic will be back, sis. They ain't going to let you get it. You got to fight every day. You got to break down the strongholds every day. It's a fight to keep going. It's a fight to keep progressing. And number three, you got to stop the critic because sin has been defeated and we got to keep it that way. <laughs> Every time we stop the lies of the devil, we remind the devil sin has no authority over me. God conquered sin when Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the grave. So Paul teaches us to defend ourselves from ourselves. That's all I'm saying. Paul says defend yourself from yourself. One, it gives room for the truth. Two, then it makes it a uh, uh, gets God's work to be done, and three, it crushes sin. So Paul says, listen, you gotta, you gotta treat the critic a certain way if you're gonna beat him. What do you hear in your head? Riri, what do you, don't say it online. I don't wanna know. It might, we hear things. Yeah, I'm telling you, you could be saved. Let me tell you something. Can I be honest? Let me candid. Sometimes I'm praying and I hear stuff in my head. It ain't right, it ain't right. Sometimes I'm in a godly place. And I hear stuff in my head. I'm telling you, the critic will come. I don't care. Critic will come. You at a funeral. Critic will come. You at a wedding. Critic will show up. You sitting at lunch with your kids. You with the family, y'all. Critic will come. You in church getting anointed and prayed for. The pattern. No, don't, please don't let me talk about how when the preacher will lay hand on somebody and then the preacher lay hand on somebody and they feel some kind of, ooh, preacher. I smell your cologne. The critic will come. Don't mess with me. Don't mess with me. You could be standing in the pulpit and see somebody walk through the church. The critic, look it up, PC. The critic, and then Joy cut up. No, never mind. I'm telling you, listen, the critic, is anybody here? Wants to, so listen, what do you hear in your head? Ignore it. Give yourself grace to deal with yourself. I like that. Give yourself grace to deal with yourself. Hear the critic? I hear the critic. I remember, I told you this story once before. A bunch of preachers of us, we were walking down prayer. We were going to have lunch. And this lady walked by us, and she was everything and all that. Beat 36, 24, 36 all day. And all of us, all of us, we walked, and we was like, we was like, is anybody going to look? Anybody going to turn around? All the preachers. The reality is somebody looked, and then we all looked at each other, and we said, we start busting out laughing. You've got to give yourself grace with dealing with yourself. When you see something, when you hear something, yes, you saw it, you heard it, the voice said it, but just because it was said or just because you look doesn't mean that you're going to make the decision to obey it. You've got to give yourself grace to deal with yourself. Mm -hmm. Lastly, instead of focusing on the negative of what's wrong with you, 
Try refocusing on the things that are right with you. Your purpose will always be found in the rightness of you, not the wrongness of you. So the critic comes to tell you everything that's wrong to keep you from identifying your purpose. So after today, I hope you'll start standing up to the critic, that voice in your head that wants to control you. It's funny, Joy, I'm going to say this to you. It's funny how the critic doesn't want to be controlled, but wants to control others with the words they use. The critic will back up all the, don't, don't control me. The critic was telling Paul, you got too much authority. You're trying to control me. But yet the critic is trying to control Paul with words he's saying. Ooh, don't let the critic fool you. The critic is a nasty critter. Oh, come on. So in other words, change your focus to your strengths, not your weaknesses. God wants to use you, but you can't be effective if you're stuck in your head fighting the critic every day. I watch NBA players who are off sometimes at night, and what do they say? He's in his head. When you're not being effective, when you're not being your best self, I guarantee you, you're listening to something in your head. Fight your critic every day, but I leave you with this. Isaiah 1 and 18, Isaiah 1 and 18 says, come, let us reason together. Now let's talk. In other words, instead of talking to the critic, talk to the other voice, God. Come, let us reason together. He says, though your sins be scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. In other words, even though we're all damaged goods, we can be refined. And God says, whatever the critic is saying, come talk to me. And whatever they're saying negative, I can change it. So let's start rem be reminding the critic of this powerful truth that he's not the only voice in our head. We have the voice of the Holy Spirit. We start telling the critic this powerful truth starting today. I'll see you at the altar. I'm PC, and that's all I've got.